Hello and welcome to The Huddle, brought to you by Wilson, au.wilson.com for all your sporting needs, the official ball of the NBL. Welcome back. Um, we've had a little bit of a, a hiatus. It's been just uh, the schedule, the NBL schedule has been unbelievable in recent times, but The Huddle is back and uh, I got my man Peter Hawley on. The NBL Awards finalists were announced earlier today and Hools and I have jumped on to, um, to break it down. Um, we look at the uh, the three finalists for each of the major awards. We break down all NBL first and second team, how we think that should go. And who's been snubbed? Who is maybe fair to feel a little disgruntled for not making these lists? So a big NBL awards an- uh, emergency huddle pod. Sit back, relax. Up next, Peter Paul. Peter Hawley, uh, welcome to the huddle, man. Thanks for coming along. Maybe been a long time coming. I'm glad I finally got got the nod. I've been sitting on the pine waving a towel for a while, but here I am. <laughs> Actually, the the show's been sitting on the pine for a little while. It's been <laughs> uh, it's been busy, 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 and um, it's good to be it's good to be back in action. What what's going on? What's the latest with you, man? Because there's already there's always something going on. We get to the <laughs> we get to the the pregame uh, for the broadcast of the games, and I just wait for the, what's the latest story. You had your number plates whipped off your car the yep. other day. You're in a fight yep. with with the telecommunications company. What's going on? No, yeah, well, that was last week. Set uh, was the third night of lockdown here, and uh, we finished the game, and it wasn't even one of the late Perth games, and got outside and uh, got about five hundred meters down the road, and. Heaven pulled up next to me at the lights and said, your number plates are gone. And I thought, I thought he was joking and then got home and both my number plates had been snatched while we were calling the game. So I got all that fixed the next day and now I just moved house and uh, Telstra promised that the internet would be ready to roll. And of course it's not. Why would they, why would they get that right? And now can't even figure it out. They said that I can't call them. I've got to do it on online chat and they reply every 30 minutes. Okay, but here we are. So you're not, you're not, you're not happy. Did when Jack Everton pulled up alongside you and said your number plates are gone, did you pull over and just, just do a nah. sneaky check? No, nah, I was like, mate, I was like, all right, cool. He goes, I'm serious. I was like, Jack, good one. Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> and I was, I was about ten minutes from home, and I got home, and I was like, oh, he's right. He said, he said the back plate. I was like, oh, he's right. And I ran around the front, and I was like, oh, they've got both of them. So oh, haven't got, haven't got my fines yet. I'm sure they've gone and done some damage in the before I could report it to the police. So. And they're not even custom. It's not like I've got a hooli dooly on the back or anything. It's just regular plates. <laughs> not only are you driving around the streets during lockdown, but you're driving around without plates on, which is uh, which makes things extra yeah. difficult. It, this is an emergency huddle pod because the finalists for the NBL end of, end of season awards dropped this afternoon, and uh, we we got to break it down because a um, couple of little surprises. Couple that we we sort of went, have gone the the way that we expected, but we've got a top three for each of the awards. Awards. We're going to go through it. We're going to rip it apart, and um, and get a real feel for things ahead of uh, the awards night coming up. Where, Sounds good. Where do you want to start? Let's leave MVP and and Coach of the Year for last. Yep. Let's leave those two for last. Go ahead, pick what wherever you want to start from there. Uh, let's start. We'll go rookie of the year. That's probably the easiest one, isn't it? So Josh Giddy, Dejan Vasiljevic, and Justinian Jessup received mm. the three most votes. Every every rookie was um, 
nominated essentially yep. was eligible and that means not a dp so mason peatling couldn't get a look in this year which is kind of crazy he's next year he's going to be eligible for rookie of the year uh any, does this take you by surprise vasilievich 21 games only and he gets top three vote uh kind of but then you look around i'm trying to think of who else only because I think of Yanni Wetsu, I, I thought might have been someone who comes into the top three. I think he's someone to be very unlucky to miss out of that. Vasilievich was awesome. We thought before he got hurt that he was probably going to get rookie of the year. We thought he was a lock, actually, before he got hurt. And that's before Josh Giddy had his triple doubles. But yeah, I think that he's probably one of the biggest snubs in that. Uh, Jack White was going to be up there as well if, if he didn't get hurt. But yeah. Um, I guess it speaks how highly he was playing and how important he was to the Kings before he got hurt. Do you put put on the uh, captain's hat? You're the captain of um, the Illawarra Hawks, all right? And this this um, awards voting sheet arrives in your inbox and you've got to sit there and you look at all the nominees for Rookie of the Year and you've got to vote three, two, one. Would Yanni Wetzel have got a vote from you? Yep, for sure. I think I think he's been great for the Phoenix, and he's just been a model of consistency. I mean, every single night he gets out there, he's uh, he's not flashy, but he just goes about his business. Then he has games where he has eighteen and eleven, and you're like, oh wow, he's playing really well. And you go back, and his quiet games are still about twelve and seven, and just goes about his business. I think he would have been for sure with the injuries to those main two and Jack White and Vasilievich, he would have got the nod. I think he would have wound up getting two votes from me. Yeah, to be honest. Giddy, of course, is going to win. We, we, we know that. We were confident of that. And like you say, Dayan Vasiljevic would was leading that, that race at the point when he went down because he was sensational. Giddy hadn't gone on his triple-double streak at that point. That was about to get very, very interesting. But 21 games, I don't feel like, I don't feel like that's enough when you've got a guy like Wetzel who's been the starting center for a finals team all season long. Um, I would have gone Giddy. Wetzel, Jessup. Well, it's it would have been enough in a normal season. 21 out of 28, it would have been fine. I would have felt mm-hmm. that, hang on, maybe he's got a chance to win this because Josh Kitty missed a few games at the end too. But yeah, in, in a season where we had 36 total games, I, it don't, I don't think it's enough because I thought Jack White was doing not as well numbers-wise, but what his part of Melbourne United was huge. I would thought he was the most important piece for the Melbourne United at that time before he got hurt. So mm. uh, yeah, I would have had Yanni Wetzel in there for sure. Wetzel is the one out of all of those. Now, Giddy's off to the NBA draft. Jessup's on a two years next stars deal. Uh, so we wait to see how that's going to play out with, with the Golden State Warriors and the like. Vasilievich on a long-term deal with the Kings. Wetzel's coming out of contract. Goodness me. I, if, poor Tommy. Tommy's going to have to open the wallet. There's a few guys who have put their <laughs> hands up for needing to be re-signed. Uh, he'd be a great signature. Just love. I mean, we saw it in his first year. He's only going to get better from there. And uh, we nearly didn't get to see it when he opted out. We were going to lose him. Wouldn't got to see him firsthand. But uh, he's going to have a massive career. And if you're the Phoenix, you want to try and lock him away. Because as you said, coming out of contract, might be a phone call coming from his home team. You'd think to try and say, hey, you, know, you want to come back home and really try and thrive back here for the breakers? Um, he's going to be, yeah, I mean, he's going to be hot property for sure. I mean, they, they had, they had um, the opportunity to sign him in advance of this season. Um, he was training over there and, um, you know, I think he would have been open to that, but but they didn't get that done. And then, of course, I think that there was probably a moment of 
um, the league being unsure about whether Yanni Wetzel was going to be eligible for this award, to be honest, because he went inside that deal in Germany, right. played some pre, like a little bit of preseason, one or two games maybe, and then and then came back. I, I think he's a he's a definite snub, and but we both agree that Giddy's going to get that award. Well, yeah, you talk about potentially not being eligible. I don't know where you stand on that John Mooney should be eligible, but that would have shaken things up a lot, wouldn't it? This needs to be the final year yeah. where a guy like Kim is not eligible. I yeah. think push has come to shove in that regard. He, if you're if you're a first year pro, you can win rookie of the year. That's just, it's just got to be yeah. We get the import thing, keep it that. But as you said, if you're straight out of school or first year pro, if this is your first professional contract, you, you're eligible no matter who you are. The question for me, I don't think that's a question anymore. That's that's got to get done. Some people feel differently. Our producer Guy Neville clearly does. What? <laughs> <laughs> What I wonder is what what happens with these DPs, these guys that are signing through long-term deals, first-year DP, but they're rolling out playing massive minutes. Mason Peatling is the starting power forward on the championship favorites right now. Mm. Has essentially played his rookie pro year, but he's not eligible. Now, how do we... You can't just say that DPs are eligible because then you look at a guy like at the very end of a bench, Archie Woodhill, and you say, well, that was your year of eligibility. Well, yeah. that's, that's, a bit, that's a bit tough. I, I think that rule needs a little bit of tinkering as well. Andrew Gaze had the suggestion in the green room the other night, say you're eligible every year you're a DP, plus until you win it, plus your first year of a full contract. So he's saying Pete Ling was eligible this year. If he doesn't win it, he's still eligible next year. What's your take on that? Well, I like that. It's a bit like the AFL Rising Stars. It's not the first year. It's You're right. You can be the multiple years. Matt Rowe would have won and then got hurt. So it's kind of, I like that idea of uh, if Mason Peeling won this year, then it is done. But you mm-hmm. give him a chance to go. Or unless, if you want to go really tricky, it has to be some sort of average minute thing, wouldn't it? Of like, well, if you average over a certain amount of minutes, then you're or that is your rookie year, essentially, for this award. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can't have total minutes because obviously some, Mm-hmm. teams might just blow it out and all of a sudden you get DPs playing eight minutes in one game and just building that up. So I think that's another way you could do it. But I like Gazy's rarely wrong, so we'll side with him on this one. <laughs> little, maybe a little bit of tinkering will cry, required there. Let, let's go to six man of the year. The finalists are Joe Lawala-Chul, Kyle Adnam, and Scotty Hobson. I, I want to go to this because I feel like the the deserving winner of this award is not on the podium. I wanted to go start with most improved because I was going to have a reason for why, who my sixth man is the final four, but no, we can go with that. Who who would you, I sixth man of the year. I'm leaning now after seeing, I'm going to go Luala Chul. As in you think he's going to win it or that's who deserves it? Uh, Both. I think he's been outstanding uh, in his role coming off the bench for United as um, he's the scorer. And he, he came out and said that in his, in the post-game interviews. He's like, I, I go out there and I think no one can stop me. And I'm, that's the way I'm playing. He's, he's almost right. Yeah, he is I right. Mean, he, he's one of the toughest covers in the league. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I love when I spoke to him uh, on the SEN and he was saying, yeah, he said, I do all my individual workouts with the guards. He said, I don't do it. He got, he, I think he's got his post move down pack, take a dribble and rise up. No one can block it. And he just wants to get his handle better and uh, use that kind of length that he has in a unique way. I'm just picturing that at Melbourne United practice where Vico says, all right, Big's down this end. 
little rest down that end and JLA just follows Shaylee and, and Macker and, and goes that way. If when they play one on one, we gotta ask, if they play one on one, which they often do, they can't he can't post up because that'd be unfair. There's just <laughs> you can't block him. It might be the back in the old thing when you're doing horse and you tell one of the athletes, you can't dunk in this. It's unfair. Right, right. It's, right. And it can't be because a lot of the time, I remember when we were doing individuals with, with Vickerman, you said a lot of one dribble from the three, you got to create your own shot. Well, the problem is while Chul's one dribble from the three, he's dunking it. He's on the rim. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, so been, love, he's been awesome. I love what he's done. He's yeah. been awesome, man. And when you look at six men, I think one of the things you got to look at is like guys that have an impact come out there mm. and have an impact on on winning, right? Like there's a lot of guys that come off the bench, have a ro- play a role. I think Kyle Adnam has been sensational in that regard this year. I think he probably had his murkied the waters a little bit because his best period of time was when he moved into that starting role and he had the huge game um, against the wildcats at the state basketball center wasn't quite able to hit the game winner but was huge that night he had the double digit assist night he was huge in that period of time i've got no problem with him um being right in the mix scotty hobson i think is the best player coming yeah no doubt right Mm. now and and his last month has been incredible if he'd been performing like that the whole year he'd be the runaway winner and with these three now being the finalists i think joe will win and should win but ben moore would have got maximum votes for me. Yep. Lee, he's, he's averaging double figures at an incredibly high percentage in scoring. Third in the league in offensive rebounding. Mm. Third in the league in offensive rebounding, which I think is huge. Three a game, 60% from the field. Um, you talk about a guy who's coming in and having an impact on winning. I think he's been doing that enormously for Southeast Melbourne and he, for me, is the biggest snub of all of these awards finalists that are announced, been announced today. Well, I've got another one that will come up. But, yeah, it's, he was definitely, when I was thinking about who could contest for it, and I asked you about Kyle Adnam. I thought he was, we all thought he was going to run away with it when he was starting and playing. Hmm. If he had started in this back end of the period, if you move that starting period to the back, does he probably win it with that recency bias that people can't help but feel? I know he would be starting, but everyone's like, wow, Kyle Adnam, he's... It's balling out right now. Keeper Sykes has been, if he was hurt now, all of a sudden Adam is really in the forefront of people's minds when it comes to doing those votes and he might even run away with it mm. in that case. Mm. It's interesting because I would assume Ben Moore is probably fourth in the voting here, which means Melbourne United and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, the two Melbourne teams, top the top four spots in this voting. And it speaks to the depth, the depth of those teams. You look at the teams that are mm. going to be in the finals, it's those two plus Perth. And Illawarra and the question mark on Perth and Illawarra really is their lack of their lack of depth, right? Their top-level yep. talent of Tyler Harvey and you know, Bryce Cotton, John Mooney, that's right, right up there, the top echelon of the league. But they, they don't have that depth of productivity, whereas, whereas those two teams have. And I think they're going to – that element of these two teams is going to have a big impact in the finals. Yep. Um, now, obviously, when push comes to shove – big players make big plays in the postseason, and, 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 you know, both of those teams have that, but they're going to um, like, I was watching that game against New Zealand the other night with Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. I thought their first quarter was terrific. And in my mind, I was thinking if they're going to grind New Zealand out of this game, because that once they start making rotations, it's Ben Moore and Kyle Adnam and, um, and Isaiah Liafa, the guy, the, the group that they have coming off the bench, Melbourne United, very similar. So it's no surprise to see them dominating 
the six-man voting. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think that's going to be – I mean, that's the key always is when it gets to finals games, does every team have the depth? And uh, we always talk about who's the X factor. Well, I think both of those X factors for both Melbourne teams are the bench in general. That's mm. exactly it because it, any one of them can step up and, and do it on, on both teams. Kyle Adam can be the guy. Ben Moore can be the guy. Uh, it was Ryan Brokoff for a while with, with Cam Glidden, but uh, with Cam Glidden in there. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that brings up. You mentioned Cam Glidden. Quick little aside, um, and, and it's relevant to Kyle Adnam here as well. My understanding is that the Phoenix are going to get, uh, are going to find it difficult to get Cam Glidden back into the lineup in any way, shape or form during these semifinals. That's what I was thinking. I mean, he came back to Victoria and for the birth of his child, which congratulations to him and the family. But a lot of, a lot of states have those restrictions in. So it's going to be, how does he get out and, and do all that? So there's going to be a big question mark. He's been a huge part mm. of what, what they've done. You take him out. We know Ryan Brokoff's more than capable to step in. But wow, it's, it's definitely changes their team dynamic. Big time. Big time. So my understanding is that the, the Phoenix and the league are still trying to work through that and trying to, get, trying to find a way to get him involved, depending on how it all plays out. But um, it's, they, they got their work cut out for the... So Kyle Adnam's going to need a... You know, Kyle Adnam, Ryan Brockoff in particular, in the absence mm-hmm. of Cam Glennon, are going to need to be huge. You wanted to talk about most improved. Let's do it. Delaney, Jordan Hunter, Sam Froling. Let's park the Hunter and Froling conversation momentarily because we knew those two were going to be the top mm. two vote-getters. And I still feel like we feel the same way. Finn Delaney is the man who's made it onto the podium ahead of the other nominees. Is that where your first thoughts go? With it is. Award? I'm not mad about it, though. But I, I was expecting uh, Joe Lawala Trill. I thought he was going to be someone who would definitely be close to nearly winning it. Um, a couple of others I thought around the league have been really good uh, as of late. Uh, I mean, Craig Moller's been awesome for the Kings. There's other guys who have really taken these steps forward. As you said, Froling and Hunter, I thought it was always going to come down to those two. But Finn Delaney, is, it's kind of the Dave Barlow nomination we saw. Was it 2018? When uh, when, when I saw him in United, we were, I was told. So I can't remember. Someone told me Dave Barlow's retiring next year. And I was like, oh, okay. I've never met the guy. And all of a sudden, he came out, had a career year. And, uh, it might have been the following year. And I was like, yeah. no, this guy's got plenty left in him. He's, he's a flat-out gun. Uh, and then got nominated for Most Improved. And a few people were like, hang on. How, this guy's been around the world he's played for australia how are we giving the most improved nod but he went from where he went a couple of seasons in a row to the what he produced and Finn Delaney, i mean he was already good last year ended last season so good that i was so excited for what he'd do this year mm. doing the same again mm. um i'm not mad about it at all that he's made the final three uh it's i did expect the wilder chill though so i would have had if anything was going to have four ties i would have had this in there because i thought the wilder chill could have been a smoky because most awards come from the team that's going to be sitting up top and that Melbourne United has been that strong. True. Um, let me circle back to that Findelaney conversation in a moment. Here, here were the nominees for the most improved player. I've got my hands on the nominees. Oh, this quietly. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> this for, for people the, the the panel of the panel of so-called experts: Andrew Gaze, Casey Frank, Greg Davis, Joe Healy, John Casey, Lockie Reed, Matt Logan, myself. Cast their votes. And then the nominees went out to the coaches, assistant coaches, and captains. And mm. that's how we've arrived at this top three. But the nominees for most improved were Craig Moller, Finn Delaney, Jordan Hunter, Joe Luala Chul, Kyle Adnam, Nathan Sobey, who's a very interesting nominee because he's already won most improved player, 
in earlier mm. in his career. Sunday Detch, Sam Froling, Sam McDaniel, Tyrell Harrison, and Tom Vadanovich. Now, the reason why I think this is highly relevant is because our man John Casey went on the broadcast with us, uh, with myself and, uh, and Drew and Jack uh, the other day, and was furious that J- the Jack McVeigh's name wasn't a part of the nominees as, as, as he had heard. And now he was right. He wasn't there. Um, and he came strong. And as I was sitting there and I was listening to him and I was thinking, boy, he's coming. These are impressive numbers. And so I went and had a bit of, he said, minutes are up one third. His minutes have gone up from 14 to 19. Points up 100%. Just, you just spread a little mayo <laughs> on that. He's gone from six to nine. Uh, rebounds up 100%. Yes, 1.6 to 3.3. So the assists have gone up 100%. Well, not exactly. 0.6 to one, which is not a, a massive increase in production. Um, yes, his three-point percentage increased and he doubled his free throw attempts. Well, he didn't. He went from 0.9 to 1.3. Uh, he improved Jack McVeigh this year. He told me in the preseason that he said he already had his most improved player um, acceptance speech written. He's going to need to keep that <laughs> keep that up his sleeve. Do, do you feel like he was a snub from the initial nominees? Yeah, from the initial nominees, yes. I think you look at a couple of others there, I think he should have been on there over that. But the thing with Jack McVay, I think we all kept saying is needed more opportunity. And that, I think that's where we all fell to was, why is he not playing? And that's that was the narrative around Jack McVay was, why is he not getting more minutes? Like he comes mm-hmm. in, produces, gets his job done. Uh, we're all like, he needs to be on the floor. And that just took away from when he came on the floor that he was producing. And that was the entire thing. And a lot of mm-hmm. awards do have the narrative around them. Uh, but I really thought that was the biggest takeaway from Jack McVay's season was, man, this this guy needs to play a lot more uh, for the Sixers the way they were playing. Um, and yeah, definitely, you look at the list, a couple of those guys, I think he could have happily been uh, slotted in over. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's going to be... Uh, we know Case, Case is a big McVay guy and understandably <laughs> so. He, when you're there, he's the energy guy. He always yep. makes a smile when he... I mean, talking to him and when he plays, it's just fun to watch a guy go out there and play with that. Shooting one leg of threes with confidence. But um, yeah, I... I most most disappointing part of it was the fact that we just kept harping on why is he not on the floor? If Connor Henry is going to be the coach again in Adelaide, like we suspect that he's going to be, having signed a multi year deal, should should Jack McVeigh find a new situation? He's yeah. coming out of contract here. Yeah, for sure. Because I know I understand what he's trying to do. Even if you're comfortable, you you say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay around and prove to Connor Henry that you've got to play me. Um, but in the back of his mind, you've got to be thinking, oh, did I do that this year? I mean, I did pretty well. Um, and I think in the limited time that we saw him at, at stages, other teams in the league are like, well, hang on, we can use that guy. We, we can use him a lot a lot better than that. So uh, if he wanted to test the waters and go out of there, I think there'd be a couple of teams like, man, like, we love what you're going to do. And like, you might be behind so-and-so, but you're going to be behind a guy that we, we're going to need that energy off the bench. We can, we can utilize that a lot better than you utilize this year. I think an interesting example of that is um, I think there's two names as well that probably could have had an argument to get on that nominees list, Mitch Norton mm-hmm. and Jordan Nartai. Yeah. And Jordan, oh, Jordan Nartai, that's a massive one. I didn't even, yeah. I and, had and, him preseason. He, I had him as a smoky. Well, there you go. Cause I think he's a, is an interesting example of that because under Dan Shamir, Dan Shamir really appreciated what he brought at the defensive end. In key mm. moments in games, he would put him out there and he'd say, guard John Robertson for us for a few minutes. And if you can lock him down, I'll keep you out there. 
Um, but he had a really short leash on him at the offensive end, whereas Mike Kelly took that off and he really excelled and showed it that he can be a guy that can, can tick the scoreboard over and give you an offensive punch. Took a, and he could have stayed there and he's tried to re-up in New Zealand and then, you know, and continued to try and prove to Dan Shamir that I can be that guy. But he went and sought greener pastures and I think that's paid off for him. It has. And it's, I think it was after that last season that uh, I was actually walking down Chapel Street after dinner and I ran into him as he was getting a burger. And I was speaking to him about that. And I said, like, what, what's the plan? He said he just wants an opportunity. Uh, and ended up going to Cairns. And that's why I thought he was going to get that opportunity. And he did. There was injuries and everything. And Cairns struggled. But I thought he was incredible. Um, I think 100% he should have been on that nominee list. Yeah, well, he wasn't there. Jack, Jack McVay just quite, he's got some, and I'm talking, you know, and I'm sure he'll tune in and he's got some work to do at the defensive end. Yeah. You know, well, and, and, and we know that he's a, he can score for yeah. sure. But Connor but Henry, that team need, needed to play defense. Every team needs to play defense and to, to guarantee that he's going to get minutes anywhere across the league. He needs to take a bit of a leap in that regard. Well, it's going to be in the way room then too because he's going to play in the four, isn't he, when he comes in there and teams are going to try and post him up and, and go at him. Um, but I like, it's Jack McVay's mindset. He's like, well, if you're going to score on me, I'm either going to score three on you or I'm definitely going to score two on you. So yeah, where are you going to That's not going to cut it though. That's not going to cut nah. it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we're good coaches that, 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 are, that, are, that, are, that are trying to get wins. That, 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 that'll get it done in the South Australian Premier League where yeah. he's going to be- hey, the, Put up big know, numbers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. you're coming in and trying to earn minutes in the NBL, that, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so, but back on Finn Delaney- Cam Luke made a really great point on, on NBL Overtime, which we shot just earlier. The great thing about the Delaney, uh, getting, Finn Delaney getting a bunch of most improved player votes here is that it's people are voting for a guy who's taken a leap from being really good to being like a star. Like he's, yep. the, he's the star right now of the New Zealand Breakers and a guy that has gone from being a good player to an all-NBL level guy. Like Nathan yep. Sobey has taken the leap this year from being an all-NBL second team guy, two-time member of, of that group, to an all-NBL first team lock, an absolute yep. superstar of the league. And sometimes it's, it's hard for people to um, celebrate those leaps. There's a bunch of different, like Jordan Hunter's gone from zero to this, Sam Froling's gone from a, a little bit of a higher base to where he's got to. Guys are all starting their years in different positions. And then you'd go back to those guys like Dave Barlow. Alex Loudon was the other guy that year who was also in that kind of mix. But um, it's cool to recognize a guy like Delaney who's taken that kind of leap. No, you're right. I love everything about Finn Delaney's game. And I just had a feeling he was going to have this kind of breakout season. So I love that he's getting that respect uh, shown in those kind of awards um don't know if he'll win it but again if he did i would not be mad about it at all uh i think he's been outstanding and again i'm with you i love the fact that we don't just look at young guys and be like okay maybe it's a second year or third year and he's gone what we expect from young guys to come in who's going to have an impact if you get more opportunity you're going to deliver he's been having this opportunity but he's just gone from as you said just a really good player to a star i think he's a genuine star leading that breakers outfit mm. All right, so let's talk about Jordan Hunter versus Sam Froling. How we think this this vote is going to go? Um, let me let me try to put some numbers around it real quick. Um, when you talk about because both of them are second year pros. Um, as I said, Jordan Hunter last year started from a a much lower base, 
coming into this season because he barely played uh, last year. He, he, here's the jump that he's made statistically. Just waiting for... Uh... I actually think I want to hear, but I actually think this is the one of those if between those two that we, we can't look at those stats and numbers. Talk to me. Because of the increased opportunity, Jordan Hunter was barely played the year before. It was third string, just got sprinkled around ends up starting mind you he has earned that and he's worked his way into to earning that spot but it's going to be as a starting five starting center you're going to get that opportunity to go and deliver uh and he has i think this is the one that obviously his numbers are going to go up because of that but again but how how else can you assess it if you don't look at where they were last year to where they are this year because you can't this is not a vote on who's the better player no well it's might have been the fact that okay, Jordan Hunter can do this last year. He would have done this, but he's behind Bogues, so Bogues is going to be playing all these all these minutes. So he's not going to be he's not going to be needed as much, but he can do this. So we might not have actually seen what we're seeing this year that Jordan Hunter could have given us last year. Well, we did see Sam Froling, but again, okay. Sam Froling got given the keys as Gorge says. I'm going to I'm putting him as a starting four. We're going to back him. We're not going to get any import over him, and he's going to deliver. And he did. Um, we can't take that into account though, right? Like what, what we think Jordan Hunter would have done last year if, if Bogut hadn't have been, like we didn't see it. We can only go by what's been out there on the floor, right? Yeah, so, and, but, yeah and so give us the numbers because people do say though, well, Jordan Hunter didn't play, so of course he's going to make more. But then you look at a, a situation where you go, well, he didn't play he's, um, because he wasn't worthy of playing. Mm. Um. I don't know. It's very difficult. Jordan Hunt has gone from 2.6 minutes a game to 20.8. Two minutes to 20, 20 minutes, right? So he's gone from a guy that can't get on the floor to being the starting center of a team that finished on the playoff bubble. He's gone from one point a game to nine, one rebound a game to six, basically no blocks to, to averaging one a game. Um, and he's scoring, he's done his scoring at 57% from the field, 73% from the free throw line. Um, he's been an important piece to the Kings. Casper Ware, Jarrell Martin, Dayan Vasiljevic prior to that, Didi Luzar. These guys were all um, better, more important, kind of the, you know, the keys to this team. Jordan Hunter being really important. Adam Form would often talk about him as being a barometer, though, saying, look, if Jordy, mm. if Jordy brings it, if Jordy's locked in and ready to execute our coverages on the pick and roll and he's ready to rim protect for us, have those big games where he sends shots away, whether, whether if his hands are, are working tonight and he's catching and finishing on those plays at the rim, we're in this game. If the other Jordy shows up, it's going to be difficult. So that consistency, I think, for him is a is a big element. What what's your overall read on on his season and his growth? I loved it. I, the exact same as you, though. You can you could see which way the Kings were kind of going to play the entire game on how Jordan Hunter started the game. He, he's that guy that his energy contests every single shot, no matter what happens. Doesn't care about that and goes up and tries to dunk everything with his athleticism. Uh, I just love the, the character of the way he plays. I think that's something that's been uh, really pleasing to watch. Is um, just coming in, getting that opportunity and saying, oh, I'll, I've got to come in. And he's, look at the, the bigs he has to go against. He's going against Jock Landau's. He's going against yeah. the John Mooney's and he's going up there and he's, oh, I've, 
I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to play super hard. I'm going to try and play my style of game. And uh, I love that he has, he was that kind of barometer uh, around uh, the Sydney King success. Xavier Cook's coming out of contract. Um, uh, Gerald Martin, of course, coming out of contract. The Kings have a club option on Jordan Hunter's deal, which you would imagine mm. that they would take up. I would suspect that they're going to look to extend him right now as well and, and try to get that done. But if if they can bring back Jarrell Martin and or Xavier Cooks, then Jordan Hunter, you're happy to roll him out as your starting center because you've got that strength around him in that regard. If if they can't, if if Xavier Cooks goes elsewhere and Jarrell Martin says I'm I'm cashing in on this year and going somewhere else, do they look at that and go, okay, in recruiting the next part of our front line, we've already got our starting center? Or do you look at Jordan Hunter going, he's he's a long-term backup in this position? With, if we're going back to three imports, that's the thing, isn't it? Because you're going to need mm-hmm. um, that piece. And you, you, the problem is, uh, places in the league, probably most likely, the most common thing we see is a point guard import uh, a wing and a center. That's the most mm-hmm. common thing we, we see. We don't really see the power forward import we have with Jerome Martin. So I think that's something they'd have to look at is if some teams load up with some legit centers, uh, well, he can't be left on the back foot with that. Even though John Hunter will be able to compete against them, he's going to go hard against them. Is he going to give the same as what um, a big import center, a fringe NBA guy that someone's looking at? Yeah. So yeah, Xavier Cooks is going to be the key of that. And I love Jerome Martin. I wish he was healthy the whole year. <laughs> the two's a superstar. So uh, if they can get those two done, then it does change exactly uh, what they will need to go for. The other way of looking at that, however, is to go, all right, well, other teams are going to load up at that center position. Jordy can hold his own. So yeah. let's, while other teams are, are zigging, we can zag. So if we if it's Jarrell, great. We roll those two out. If it's not Jarrell, let's still look at a four. Let's look at a Jarrell Martin, a Vic Law, these types of guys and try to try to try to bring someone else and and keep Jordy growing in that position. I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. Here's Sam Froling's leap. He went from 12 and a half minutes a game to 28. He went from six points a game to 11, three and a half rebounds a game to seven. So he doubled his his rebounding, almost doubled his points production. Um, more efficient from the field, over 50%. Um, struggled a little bit from the free throw line this year. Assists one and a half a game. Blocks, he's blocking over a shot a game. And the thing for me that puts Sam Froling over the edge is that he's the Hawks' second most important player. You took my notes straight off the page. That's what I was going to say. It's Tyler Harvey and then it's Sam Froling. And that's exactly how it is. If those two are playing well, I mean, a lot of it's Tyler Harvey, but... We thought at the start when we saw Justin and Jessup, we're like, if, if Jessup and Harvey don't play well, the Hawks aren't going to win. And then once Jessup was being a little inconsistent, we're like, hang on, it's Froling. If Froling and Tyler Harvey aren't leading from the front, they're in trouble, the Hawks. Mm. He mm. is literally, and Gorgeous said that, how important he's been for them. And he's taken that on as, he's taken that that star role for the Hawks from a team that where they were to where they finished up in the finals. It's been a, he's been a big part of that. And another one that, that the game, the Kings versus Hawks thing, 
him and Hunter go at it was was elite. That's what we want to see is mm. those two young guys, front runners for the most improved player award, both trying to prove exactly why. And they both had plays within a two-minute stretch where we were like, okay, that's the most improved player. And then the other one did it again. And we're like, oh, maybe that's the one. Mm. Mm. And that's a huge leap for Sam Froling to have taken this year. And we, we thought he would, you know, because we know he's got a whole bunch of potential and he's going he's gonna to revel in that environment that Brian Gorgian creates. Mm. Um, but heading into the season and the same applies to Jordan Hunter for sure people didn't that we thought that they were going to start Jarrell Martin and Xavier Cooks at the five and the four mm. and Hunter was going to continue to play backup minutes and he has become the the starting center for that team but the same thing for Sam Froling because people were I mean an hour I was saying like, I think he's going to start he's going to start for this team and you know, we but no one was certain about that. Well, how was what's it going to look like with Cambers though? Um, and and who else are they going to be able to, to to bring in? So to go from there to being the second most important player on a team that's going to compete in the finals is an enormous leap. And he has he has such massive upside even from here. Like what what kind of player he can grow into and and become is. I think really, really exciting. I put so much weight on really any awards with winning. So that's something that I, when I first went to college, my college coach said, if you want to be both successful on a team, but in your future, in whatever role you do, you've got to be part of winning teams. People want winners. Like, I don't care if, you, if you're winning at your role, that's going to help you get to where you want to get in life. So I put so much weight on every award in winning. I don't necessarily hone in on the personal stats because anyone can go out there and just care about their own. But if your team sucks, then who's going to really want you at that highest level? You've got to do whatever you can to contribute. He has done that. And the fact that they're in finals and where they've come from is the big reason why I think he just gets the nod. And if we're going to have a tie, I don't mind. All right, this is one where I'm happy to get a tie. <laughs> the Defensive Player of the Year, the Damian Martin, the inaugural Damian Martin Trophy. Here with the nominees, Isaac Humphreys, interestingly enough, because he didn't play a lot of games. Mm. Justin Simon, Mitch McCarron, which I was happy to see. Mitch Norton, Sunday Detch, and your man Tom Abercrombie. I got Uday Bubba Shayuli, and maybe even Kiefer Sykes as well as snubs from that initial mm. nominee list. And here we are with the the three finalists, the top three vote getters: Justin Simon, Mitch Norton, and Tom Abercrombie. Not mad about it at all. Uh, I was big on the Tom Abercrombie wagon for a long time. Then he got hurt, and I think that just really put the cue in the rack. I don't think he's going to win it because of that. But I love the step. I mean, we we know he can do it, but he really looked like he just locked in. It's like we've got this talent. I'm going to be a defensive stopper. And when you got one of the one of the purest scorers in the league, and Chris Goldie coming out saying that he's the toughest guy he's got to play against one on one in games because of his length, he doesn't get screened often. And when you think he's you've been beat. He just pops back up with those with his long arms and his athleticism, which is why I was like, Tom Abercrombie will be defensive player of the year. Being hurt, I don't think he'll get it. So I'm mm. I'm big on Mitch Norton. I I think Mitch Norton is just picked up perfectly where Damo left off. Mm. Um, and spoke to Damo on SEN last night about it. And he's like, I don't want to sound biased, but he said, I think it's Mitch Norton. He said he loves Justin Simon. He loves Sunday Detch. But he said, you have to beat Mitch Norton twice if you're playing against him. He said, if you get past him, it's not over because he's going to pop back up in front of you. He's either going to try and take a charge or he's going to be so vertical that you've got to alter your shot. So there's one move to get past him and then another move to score on him. It just makes him so hard to mm -hmm. score against. I think Mitch Norton should 
run away with this, even though Justin Simon's been wow. great towards the stretch. I just think Mitch Norton, second, they finished second. I just love what he's done consistently every game. I mean, he held Castleware to one of 11 and was just an absolute nuisance yeah. in that game. No, he's, it's, uh, what I love about Mitch Norton is he's, um, he's a fundamentally sound yep. defender. Yep. And you combine that with the effort and energy he brings at that end of the floor. Um, he's not a, a highlight real defender. You know, I mean, there were years past. I mean, Sean Long, for goodness sake, got a nomination for Defensive Player of the Year. And that should, and that should never have happened. Um, but he's blocked a lot of shots. And it was a highlight like, real thing. JP Tokoto got a nomination for Defensive Player of the Year. Mm. It was an absolute barroom door defensive player. <laughs> The Perth Wildcats, right? Demetrius Conga, people thought, this guy's a good defender. No, he gets beat, and then every now and then he recovers and, and, and blocks a shot mm. off the backboard, and everyone thinks he's a lockdown guy. Mitch Norton, does. you have to be watching closely to see the impact that he has. And then you look and then you look at the box score after the game, and Casper Ware went one for 11. And, um, you know, elite point guards, game after game after game, just find life really, really difficult against the Wildcats. And Norton is that the major reason why. And even like the box score, a box score of some elite guards, they might go five of nineteen and still get some free throws or whatever and have twenty points. But you look back at every single possession, you look at how hard they had to work, and they probably lost because of it. And it's because of Mitch Norton. And you said the highlight plays. Justin Simon is a highlight player, but he's actually a really good defender as well. He's hard yeah. to score on. Correct. The way he reads the ball from uh, from being off the ball, the way yeah. he reads the game is incredible, which is they're two completely different defenders mm-hmm. in the way they go about their business. Justin Simon pops up with deflections. He gets steals. He gets blocks as well. But he reads the game so well off the ball, whereas Mitch Norton one-on-one is so hard to score against. The, these... Um... The six, the six nominees that were sent out to the uh, coaches and captains to, to vote on, um, five of them were my five that I, that I voted for. I didn't have Isaac Humphreys in there. I had Simon McCarron, Norton Ditch, mm. and Abercrombie. Humphreys probably would have won the thing mm. if he'd have played the full load of minutes because he was, he was you know, um, such a great rim protector, but combined with, um, oh, I thought he's, he's the, he took a big leap in his, ability to guard pick and rolls this year was a huge question mark over over the Adelaide 36ers coming into the season and he answered that in a big way but what I want to give a shout out to Mitch McCarron who didn't make the finalists but what I love about McCarron and and big and why I didn't hesitate to vote for him um, this year he was not used by Dean Vickerman as their primary stopper when they come up against when they came up against Perth against Bryce Cotton or they came up against Brisbane Nathan Sobey or they came up against Southeast Melbourne with Keeper Sykes, they were use, they're using Sam McDaniel, Shaili and Uday Baba as that lockdown guy. And sometimes if you're not that lockdown guy, you can go underappreciated as a defender. But Mitch McCarron is such he just puts out so many fires. Possession after possession for Melbourne United at the defensive end. Um, top three in the league in steals because he makes those reads off the balls and he gets his hands on it when he digs in. He's just an awesome defender. And I'm glad to, to have seen him get some appreciation for that in this nominees list. 
No doubt. Uh, and that's the thing. You look at it and uh, so many of that guard contingent for United could have ended up in the top five mm. votes. I mean, you know, Baba has been awesome. Uh, Shaley, we know what Shaley does and he does the same. Sam McDaniel has been a very good defender for Melbourne United. But the problem is they do it as just a whole unit of guards. They they have, they have work so well together when they're on the floor together. That bench unit of uh, Bubba and Illy work well together. McCarron and McDaniel work well together. That it's just, if there was, I mean, they're the best defensive team of the, uh, of the mm-hmm. league, what we've seen. And it's mm-hmm. because they work well as a cohort that uh, it's, it's going to be hard to really to hone in on that one person from them. Let's talk, before we put, talk Coach of the Year and MVP, let's talk about All-NBL first and second team. Yep. Not a part of the announcement at all today. A um, couple of little tidbits before we start, right? We know it's two inside, three outside for each of the teams. Mitch Creek and Finn Delaney, both categorised as inside players when these, the voting sheet went out to the coaches and captains. Okay, that's worth flagging. I think we both have probably the same all NBL first team. Cotton, Sobey, Harvey, Landau, Mooney. Yeah. Unless unless some coach or captain wants to be tricky. And that's how it should be. That's how we should end up getting first team. How could that what what could was what is the only possibility in which that could change? There there should there shouldn't. If there was gonna be something, you'd probably looking at well, we spoke about winning teams help. So like Mitch McCarron is someone who's now in the last couple of weeks, it's been really, everyone's talking away. Mitch McCarron's had a phenomenal season. They finished first. They got the mighty premiership. He's a main reason for it. That might put a little bit more weight over a Tyler Harvey that we've seen, but Tyler Harvey's done the same. Nathan Sobe with the bullets have been falling away a little bit. It, it'd be a crime. It'd be an absolute crime for those five not to be there. But Mitch McCarron could sneak in with a couple of votes I also think the the finalists for MVP, which are Cotton, Harvey, and Sobey, probably gives us a huge clue to how the voting's gone for the outside players. Yeah, all NBL first team. It should be. I mean, that's these those three have been outstanding. So I think that's on every single person's uh, all NBL first team list. And if it's not, you're probably biased to your team a little too much. All NBL second team gets way more interesting. Very. Mitch McCarron's a lock. Yep. Is anyone else a lock from there? Daniel Johnson. You've got I him a lock? Because I see some people going Creek and Delaney. Yeah, see, that's the big one. I've got, I've got Finn Delaney in mind. I've got Delaney and Johnson, who I think will get the, the nods on that. Uh, Creek, as we talk about the inside, outside. Finn Delaney, that's the way he plays. Finn Delaney plays in the power four for the breakers. So Creek does swing between both. I... Um, I think just Finn Delaney, I can't be more highly of what he said. And I actually just want to be right in one of my preseason predictions, which is why I'd love to see him in there, wrong with everything else. Still hoping for a break is Cairns grand final series that I called. Don't know if get it. Still, I expect the unexpected. Um, yeah, it's Finn Delaney and Daniel Johnson. Daniel Johnson and my, I think the nat- we've built up and shown everybody how underappreciated he's been all the time that he's going to get a few nods on that. But if, if it is Creek and Delaney again, I think that would be well-deserved. Daniel Johnson's, the, the the discussion about his underappreciation has, I think, almost brought him to become properly rated. Yeah. Bill Simmons yeah. always talk about underrated, overrated, properly rated. I think that, that we, there's been so much flagging of the Daniel mm. Johnson underappreciation that I think he's now at a level where he's properly appreciated. 
I have him there as All-NBL second team. Two of Johnson, Creek, Delaney, and Jarrell Martin, who probably also deserves to be in this conversation. Two of those guys are going to miss out. Jarrell Martin, yeah. If he didn't get hurt, and it took him a little while to get that consistency once he was healthy again. Uh, when, he, when he came onto the scene, we were just like, he's in. He, this guy's All-NBL caliber. He's unguardable. He's got every way to score in his game. Definitely, you're right, should be around that mark. Then it gets interesting, doesn't it, with a couple of guard spots. So I, I go with McCarron, Ware, and Chris Golding. And Josh Giddy is my primary snub as an outside guy. Where do you fall? I'm McCarron, Giddy, and Golding. And I've got Casper and Ty Webster as a couple of sneaky opportunities to, to get in. I think, again, I put so much emphasis on the winning that I look at. Um, well, I think Josh Giddy will get in there because what he did on a personal level. And when, when the Sixers were winning, Josh Giddy was doing a lot to do that. So you can't really look at how their season fell apart afterwards. Once they got out of finals, it was, it was going to be hard. When they were at full strength, and we talk about completely different tangent here, but if they were going with Giddy, Paul, um, Sunday Detch or Tony Crocker, Humphreys and Johnson for the, from the start of the season, we would most likely be talking about them in finals. Contention. They would be well and truly there with that kind of lineup. Josh Giddy is that one anomaly that I think has been outstanding. I think he will get uh, a few nods there. And then I put Golding in over a Casper or Ty because of, he's a game breaker and he's a part of a winning team and he leads that team from the front in what he does. So, uh, it, again, fair few cases you could have for either way, but that's where I was leaning towards. I think Casper Ware is such an interesting case right now because mm. talk about over, under, or properly rated. He's within the NBL Twitter sphere and um, fandom. He's underrated now for some reason, you know, because he, because he, because he underperformed in the grand final series last year yep. and because his field goal percentage has dipped away a little bit in his time in the purple and gold. He's gone from being properly rated where he was, Everybody understood that he was the best two-way player in the league a few years back when he was at Melbourne United and winning, leading them to a championship alongside Chris Golding to being underrated now where he's chastised. Now, I don't think, this is why I think, why well, why I put him in and it's why I think he'll probably get in in the end. I don't think he's underappreciated within the playing, the players and the coaches of the NBL. Yep. They they appreciate how how tough he is, how good a defender he is. Yes, Bryce Cotton has torched him, but few others have. And this is a guy who had a 40-point game, averaged 18 and a half points per game this year. Um I think Giddy was 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 great when he was great. He he went through, he had some growing pains as well. The turnover counts got up pretty high throughout at different times. I mean, I've got him right at the bubble, but I think I, for some reason, I feel like Casper has got, got to a point where he's underappreciated. We're too harsh as both fans and some media of, of looking at those, the negative narrative of, yeah, okay, the one eleven game and everyone won from 11 and say, oh, Casper was terrible in that game. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. Instead of saying, Mitch Norton was phenomenal in that game on Casper mm-hmm. Ware. And, mm. Stars are going to have those kind of games where the, the, the defense just steps up on, uh, in different moments, in different games. And yeah, I think we're too harsh on that negative 
narrative rather than looking at certain aspects. And then when he does have a 40-point game, everyone's like, all right, well, that's what we expect from Casper. That's fine. Whereas, mm. hang on, that's tough to do. <laughs> like, it's, you don't just do that by luck. Like, that's because mm. that's you can flat out play. Uh, I think we are too harsh on throwing and getting caught up in that um, in that narrative of, yeah, okay, he's he's no good this year. I mean, yeah, there's been inconsistencies, but a lot of players we talk about have been on both ends of the inconsistency where is it good and bad, but it's just his, some of his are so far between where he is, yeah, yeah, sometimes a really bad game and sometimes he has 40 and a lot of the time, okay, he's got 28 to 35. If he's got 10 to 11 or 10 to 12, we're like, Casper had a poor game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said 18.5. It's actually 17.7 points per game. He finishes up eighth in the league in scoring. 40% from the field, which is the same percentage that Bryce Cotton shot this season. 30% from three, which is Bryce Cotton shot 31.9. And he averaged 4.4 assists. And his team finished just outside mm. the finals. The assist is something that I, I, I love for what Casper's done. I mean, he has had his shooting struggles uh, for longer than I'm sure he would have liked, but getting others involved and he's had to do that. And once once Vasilievich got hurt, he, he had to adjust the way he played. Everyone did with the Kings, but it really, he, he struggled in a little period of those, weirdly enough, growing pains of, okay, my role's changed. When Vasilievich was there, it was Casper and DJ show and they were rolling. All of a sudden he got hurt they had a couple of different pieces come in. They were rolling a pretty much all power forward lineup with Casper Ware for the last couple of weeks. That we're looking at that recency bias of that of saying he he struggled. Like, let's go back to the NBL Cup around that time when those two were going at it. And we were like, yeah, Vasilievich is balling. He's probably their main guy. But Casper was doing his thing just mm-hmm. as well, just right next to him. Mm-hmm. So I think he's he, it's been tough when Vasilievich went down that he had to change his role. Ty Webster's an interesting name to mention as well. 17 and five. Um, way more efficient from three, 38%. Way less efficient from the free throw line, as we know, is the Burger King. Um, yeah, I think he's probably going to end up just missing out as well. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. There. But again, I think he's had a really good year. Um, I, it's those teams that when you get those sheets as a coach, as a captain, you're looking around teams and you're thinking, oh, who, who am I? Who's going to vote for? You've got the list. And you're like, oh, wait. Uh, Breakers had a couple of guys who really stood out the whole year. I mean, Findelani now, but you look at the rest of them. Ty Webbs is the other one. Everyone else, Corey Webbs has been in and out. He had the injuries. Uh, Cole Marvin's had some big games, but it's, it was Ty and Finn. So I think that could help him get a couple of cheeky votes. Coach of the year. We've got Coach of the Year and MVP to finish up. Gorgian, Vickerman, and Gleason end up being the top three. I imagine when most of this voting was done over the last week or so, they were the first, the top three teams in the league. <laughs> um, but you can't you can't argue against any of those guys. Dean Vickerman, a lot of people will say, well, he, I mean, Humpty Dumpty could have coached that team to a regular season title, but that is so not true. We've seen no. teams over the years that are unbelievable on paper. It is, it's a different challenge coaching a mega talented team like that, but it's a, it's a challenge nonetheless. And he's done a terrific job of, of, I mean, they're just in a perfect place right now and you've got to tip your hat to him in that regard. I think Simon Mitchell is unfairly chastised as well. Yes. They've been a little inconsistent, but this is a, an expansion team who's made the finals in their mm. second year of existence. And yeah. I honestly, that, that just doesn't happen 
I can't think of another stupid. There's been some merged teams like the Southeast Melbourne Magic um, that have done it in there, you know, over that time. The Sydney Kings, was that an expansion team? I, that's Maybe you could have a conversation about that. That's a pretty incredible achievement and he's led the way in, in terms of getting there. And a lot of times people talk about Coach of the Year saying, well, it's we look at it from expectations at the start of the year to where they are now. I got my hand up as pretty much the only person who picked this team as a finals team in the preseason. <laughs> you know, most people didn't think that they were going to be in the finals and yet here we are and they're probably going to finish third. Do you feel like he belongs in this top three or it's appropriate that he's not in there? No, I don't think he can just. I don't think he can take over those three. That's the only issue. I think again, everything you said is spot on, uh, and we got to look at it deeper than just okay, the t- team that finished first or second. Um, what he's done, I think, one hundred percent, you're accurate with that. But the three that are there, Dean Vickerman, as you said, Humpty Dumpty could coach this team. We've seen plenty of times a lot of talent on teams doesn't win, and you've got to get you've got to get each player to buy into that, and that comes with not just telling him what to do. They have to excel in that. And that's Dean Vickerman always said he's, he builds the culture. When he took over United, he wanted to change the culture and did that successfully. But it's all about what happens away from the court in terms of who you are as a person to bring that onto the floor. Now, Scotty Hobson had his growing pains in his role trying to get out there and now look at him where he's mm-hmm. got to playing. Mm-hmm. Jock Landau came in and we talk about Jock Landau going to the NBA and he does as well. He's got the right mindset, but he's bought into that because of the culture that Dean Vickerman has created at Melbourne United for we've got all this talent. That starting five they rolled out against the Sixers in the last game. Mm. Could have beat a couple of teams around the league. <laughs> well, I mean, they've won that game, right? I no, mean, but had... like, just like you talk about that, that starting, that strength of that starting, Australia Lee started numerous games in the year. Dave yeah. Barlow, Luala Chul, Scotty Hobson, Sam McDaniel. Killer. And that's everybody has just born. People are playing, happy to play between 20 and 25 minutes. We have questioned Dean Vickerman's rotations a lot. That's in that one thing we have questioned of how he does, goes about that. But in the end, I think they're winning and where they're at now. Does that change in the finals? I'm still – my coach of the year is Trev. Uh, yeah. I think he's missed out a couple of times in the past where we should have given it to him. I'm not saying that's the reason he deserves it. But if that was the reason we give it to him, good, because he should have got one recently. Yeah. Um, but just because we had the Wildcats or I had the Wildcats on the bubble at the start of the year, they, they, they had no Tariqo White. They had on, the no bubble, on the bubble, but out. But out, yeah, but out. I was like, they're yep. going to pull, they're gonna play really well, a couple of teams. But again, I didn't expect Cairns and New Zealand to do this to me. So that really hurt my prediction. <laughs> um, but it's been outstanding, man, what they've done. And yeah, you've got Bryce Cotton. That's a luxury you have. I mean, that's why you look at Dean Bickman. It's always got a talented team. Yeah, but Trev's got the best player in the league. Uh, who's taken another step forward. But I I can't get over what Trev Gleeson has done with these young guys. And the young guys I'm talking about, Luke Travers, Jared Bairstow, uh, even Corey Sherbel to an extent. Uh, Luke Travers was starting at power forward the year, barely played leash. And I talk about every time we call the games, but now has grown into the one of the most confident young dudes we've seen go out there after all those setbacks that Trev's dealt with him throughout the year. Yeah. Trev has just, we've all been like, what's going on? We haven't seen Luke Travers. Jared bairstow has been in and out when they signed Will Magnet. Little do we know that Trev was just, he had the puppet strings. He's like, I'm not <laughs> what I'm doing here. I'm doing it perfectly, getting ready. And honestly, Luke Travers is one of the most exciting players that I get to watch in cool games. I love what he's done. And it's credit to how Trev has done that. He's done that with every young guy. Bairstow yeah. went out when Magnet came in. 
And then uh, with Bryce's injury, Bairstow came back in. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, he hasn't missed a beat either. Corey Sherwell hadn't played for a month. Came in, hit two massive threes like he hadn't missed a game. Yeah. So I, it's insane. The way he gets that whole culture is incredible. I also would vote for Trevor Gleeson if I, if I had the opportunity. But the fact that Brian Gorgian has done what he's done this year and isn't going to win and would, in, you know, you would suspect probably not going to win. <laughs> Is incredible, and I got to say, we have we have really high level coaching in this league. Mm. People love to throw slings and arrows at the coaches in our league, but the the level of coaching that takes place in the NBL is so highly respected around the world. And, yeah. and when 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 people who really know the game talk about the NBL, they talk about the talent, they talk about how well it's run these days and the excellent job that, 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 that Larry and, and his team have done in, in picking up the league. They talk about Andrew Gaze, but they also talk about that. So that is a really well-coached league, man. I mean, and, mm. and, and teams love to watch our, our teams, the stuff they run, what they do at both ends of the floor and scout it and incorporate it into their team. So, which is why we, this is, this is such a hotly contested um, race. And the other thing, talk about Dean Vickerman's rotations. It's so easy for us to criticize. And I did it the other night. I'm saying Chris Gordon should still be out on the floor. He finally hit a couple of shots here. Uh, and after going, um, struggling a little bit, like you should keep, but what we don't have to deal with are the emotions and the, and, and the, the mental and an emotional state of all the other guys on the team who, yeah. if Chris stays out there, they don't get their run. And mm. what his job is to do is not to, to, let a guy get a certain number of points or, or, or do what we think he should do. His job is to get his team in the best place to go ahead and win a championship. And that, and he's done that. I mean, right now with where they're sitting, he's done that beautifully. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, it's easy for us to sit back and be those couch guys and be like, no, no, why is he not playing? He just hit three threes. But you're right, there's so much more. That goes into it, and that might all change in finals. So you don't, you, we're not sure what we're going to see, uh, but we're looking forward to that. MVP to finish off. Cotton, Harvey, and Sobi are on the podium. Have received the three most, are the guys that have received the most votes to this point. Who's the biggest snub? There's two. No, well, no, the one you're going to say, but I mean, Mooney was the one we were talking about for a while. I'm John Mooney could get MVP down the stretch uh, versus Bryce Cotton. Um, I was never on board. Well, yeah, we'll I, I was that. never on board with the John Mooney MVP trade. Um, like that and then Jock, Jock Lando. Huge stuff. Yeah. Do you, if you were put, if you put this through this, the top three together, would you actually have him in? And who would it be over if you did? I would. I'd have him in there over Sobi, just because I value winning so much with that. Talk to me. Convince, convince somebody who doesn't think that that's right. Because well, Sobi has had a career year, and again deserves where he's at. Don't get me wrong, deserves one hundred percent to be in that final three. He's been outstanding. Um, Jock Landau has had to accept a different role because he cares about winning, and he's been a huge part. We never got to see how Melvin and I would have been without Jock Lando, um, but he's been an integral part and gets so much attention every time he steps onto the floor that he's not going to have 
he's not going to go out and score 25 every single game. We, we, we've joked about it. Well, he's going to average 25 or 10 easily. But the NBL's too good for that. NBL's like, well, no, 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 you're not going to do that. We're not going to make you beat us. And the problem is teams now, and especially in the last couple of months, have been like, well, we've put so much emphasis into Landale, but Melbourne United is so deep. The rest of these guys are just going to beat us. So why don't we just play it straight up? Mm. And all of a sudden, like, damn, Jock beat us. Like, we saw Jock mm-hmm. versus Mooney in Perth. They didn't double. And Jock Landale just did whatever he wanted. Like, he just went down there, got to his spot, rose up, mm. finished it, cleaned up the boards, did his thing on the defensive end. He has been incredible this year. And, I mean, we, if he got treated like that in every single game, we'd be looking at uh, leading scorer of the league, leading rebound of the league. I agree. I agree. And this is why, like we are talking about with most improved, I'm like, you've got to look at the numbers. You have to look at the numbers, the jump that they took last year. But you've also got to, you know, you've watched the games, right? And you've watched the season and you've got to trust what you've, what you've seen. And I think you've got to do that here, with, like you say, with, with Landau as well because of exactly, I mean, you just laid it out perfectly. He, at the start of the year, and, and our producer guy Neville was talking to us pre-show saying, well, when you play against Melbourne United, who do you, who do you scout for? Who's the primary guy you scout for? Is it Chris Golding? Is it Jock Landau? Like, which way are you looking? I think at the start of the season, it was Jock Landau for most teams. And that's why he was getting doubled on the catch. Good chime in from our producer, right? So <laughs> he, he, he was getting doubled on the catch, kick it out without any hesitation, kick, kick, Golding, McCarron, whoever it was on the other side of the floor, knockdown shot. Teams were getting wiped off the floor. They opened the season six zip. I think, what were they, nine and one? And, and, mm. and it was like, this isn't working. Yeah. Well, those open looks, similar to like the how Bryce Cotton helps John Mooney, those open looks for all those guys and their offense was still very much a work in progress at that point point but there was so much of it was being created by jock and the and the respect that he was being given down low teams you're right have had to make that adjustment and now his numbers have ballooned and he's putting up 20 point games week in week out right now um and you've got to be a true like understand the game of basketball to see it not like not just from what like when they throw it into the post what he does when they scout, a lot of it is to take away even his catches. But what that means is all of a sudden you've got Chris Golding in the corner who's open because they've had to overhelp on not letting Jock get the ball. So you've got to right. really have to go down and understand the game to see the impact that Jock Landau's had. Tough for Sobi not to, to be in there. He is in there. We're suggesting perhaps Landau could be in there mm. over him. His team's going to finish sixth. That's and that's a big thing. And again, he hasn't had too much help. You look, they've struggled and import changes and uh, the inconsistencies we've seen from their Aussie contingent hasn't helped him. And he has single handedly got them there, really, mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the season. He's been insane. I thought it, there hasn't been one NBL Cup MVP, but he was mine. I thought he was just went to another level there and continued that. Um, I just think, yeah, Jock Land, I think we need to hype up a bit more. Had New Zealand. Had New Zealand lost, uh, sorry, had New Zealand beat Southeast Melbourne the other night? Mm. And Brisbane, who would have maintained a high level of energy because they would have been still alive, beaten Sydney. Tonight would be for Brisbane to make the finals. Yeah. So we say that Sobe finished sixth, but man, they were right there. Right there. It's only been a couple of days since they were. Mm. Eliminated. It would have been a, a play-in game tonight. It's tough. I mean, I, I, 
you're right. He, he deserves all, all the, the recognition that he's receiving. So does Tyler Harvey. So does Bryce Cotton. But Jock Landau, I would imagine he finished first in the fourth in the voting. And then John Mooney. And if that's that's the case, it's hard to argue too, too, yeah. too much. Yeah, but Nathan Sobey, the most impressive thing is to me, we didn't see the emotional Nathan Sobey this year. Like, he stepped up as a leader and... We've seen in the past that he struggled. He shoot, tries to shoot his way out of it, tries to create, just does a little too much. He just locked into a zone that he was like, I'm going to do this, whether it was the boomer snub at the initial thing or what it was. And every, he just took everyone else along. He led by example without that, the emotional that we used to see where he'd be erratic or in some, mm. some different instances. Um, oh, the fact that he did obviously get added to the boomer squad, huge reckon, deserved that. But Loved his year. Couldn't be more impressed with what he did this year. He's and that's a, a, on that most improved list. I mean, he's not in the uh, finalist, but that's a great nod. A guy who's gone from, he was already a star, but he went from a star to a superstar. Like We yeah. talk about the top five players in the league. He probably wasn't there before this season. Ends this season, he's, he's definitely in that category. Taking a great lead. Would imagine, I mean, it's pretty cool to see a guy who already won most improved earlier in his career mm. when he took a leap from a, a guy coming off the bench to an all NBL second team guy, 2016, yeah. 17 with Adelaide, to a guy you're right, who's made that jump from to become a superstar of the league. That, you, can only, pretty- you can only really get you can only really improve like twice, can't you? You go from the bench <laughs> to a, a good player. Oh, every time, good player starts as you can. That's Nathan Sobey. Um He's a huge reason why that's a that's an interesting job, that head coaching job at Brisbane. Yeah. Now there's been reports from ESPN's Olgan Ulrich that that James Duncan is the man to be to be stepping into that role, to be taken over a team with an that has an MVP caliber player under contract, has another year remaining on that deal in Brisbane, makes that. In just just in just from a starting point, makes that a really attractive position. Yeah, absolutely does. Uh, and again, to be able to lead a team and build a team around Nathan Sobey, and if whoever gets that job, that's the thing. He's your guy. He's now your guy. He's shown that he can do this in this league, night in and night out. So it's worth saying, like, what do we need to help Nathan Sobey so that we can just go for it? like you don't want to have I need to, big law. Yeah, oh, that's got to be the first one. You've got those two, the way they play together would be incredible. And then it's yeah. like, what pieces do we need to put around these two guys mm. to really complement them perfectly, knowing that we're not going to bring in a Jock Landau-type guy who's going to be above them? Because right now, we've got our two guys. If we get Vic Law, we've got our two guys. What's the next one? We can slot in next to them and then rest behind to build that base. Outstanding. There it is. Oh, we we proved Bryce Cotton is the MVP. Bryce Cotton is the MVP. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt um, about that. Yeah, um, anyone who says it's not, it's we got to stop falling into his like, yeah, we're expecting greatness. Which is Dude, which is why I never bought into the John Mooney for MVP. Yeah, hype train. Yeah, because it's so quite clearly Bryce Cotton that I felt like that was never even a conversation for me. But he's been so good. Um, interviewing Mooney, he's just so he's such a nice bloke. Just having a challenge. I'm really impressed with that. So yeah. That's, that's, and then I'm not taking anything away. Well, maybe I am, but he's been he's yeah. been awesome. But Bryce Cotton's yeah. just the best player in the league. It's but it's so it's such a big gap, and it's why tonight is such a for me is such a huge game for the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Yeah. Because taking on the Wildcats without Bryce Cotton is 
is a prize very much taken, worth fighting for. You're not ta- you're really you're not taking on Perth, are you, with that price? It's it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing, and it's why I still can't get my head around why Tyler Harvey didn't play for the Hawks again that game against Sydney. Oh, that's another huddle podcast altogether. <laughs> All right, man, let's wrap it there. We've broken down the awards. It's great to get you on. You need to get your number plate sorted. You need to talk to the telecommunications company, get everything sorted out and have a great call on the game tonight. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Cheers.